let me call your attention this evening to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll focus our attention on verse 21. Before we come to verse 21, let me say a few things here about the apostle's words in verse 20. He says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. As the representative of his sovereign, an ambassador, an ambassador delivers only what he has been commissioned to say. So that those who receive his message with contempt offend the king in whose name he speaks. The Apostle Paul calls himself an ambassador of Christ. And he comes with a message not his own. He comes with the message of his sovereign. He is not on a fool's errand. He comes with authority. Many of us have seen those medieval movies where the town crier comes into the town and he rings a bell and he gets the attention of all the citizens of the town and he unrolls his scroll and he begins to read not his own words but the words that have come from the king. As, someone, as some say, I'm just a messenger. I'm just delivering the message. The message is not his. The message is the king's. And he speaks with all the authority of the king as if the king were standing there himself proclaiming that message. And so those who have been called of God to proclaim his word, his holy word, are even as those Old Testament prophets, as it were, who said, thus saith the Lord. It would behoove us to pay close attention to the words of those who herald his truth. Sometimes we are uh, agitated by the things we hear from the pulpit, maybe because they pinch at our sins. And then we throw stones at the preacher because we didn't like that application or how he said it. Brethren, we must get beyond the man who stands and proclaims the sovereign's message. If he handles the word aright, if he rightly divides the word of truth, you can, you can toss out our illustrations. You can toss out our little anecdotes. But when the word is properly opened in our hearing, we must give heed. The apostle says, we come as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we come into your presence because of the merits of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And we exclaim as we have just sung, oh, how great your loving kindness, vaster, broader than the sea. How marvelous your goodness lavished all on me. So, Father, we come resting in the riches, the grace, and the sure promises of our great Savior, the Lord Jesus. So we ask you, Father, to help us in this hour to behold our Savior and what he has accomplished for us. And we ask it in his blessed name. Amen. We return to this verse that we considered last month as we sought to come to the table of remembrance in a worthy manner. Remember, this is a gospel ordinance for unworthy folks. The Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth was focusing not so much about who comes to the table, but rather about what they were doing and how they were coming to the table. He was concerned about the manner in which they came. Therefore, I sought to glean from this verse in our last time together last month. From this verse, a few things that might help us to discern or judge the body rightly. I piggybacked, as it were, off of Dr. John Owen, and this was his aim. He says, I shall not enter into the opening of this scripture, but only propose some few things that may be suitable or be a suitable subject for our present meditation. There were nine things drawn from this verse in your hearing last month, and we only considered the first six. This evening, I'd like for us to consider the last three for our meditation as we prepare for the bread and the cup. Many have titled this verse, The Great Exchange. The Great Exchange. Hymn 181 summarizes the heart and, 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 the, and the message of this verse when we read in hymn 181 these words, his robes for mine, O wonderful exchange, clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. Brethren, that is the message of this verse, this great exchange, as it were. Last month, I, I, I said there were three things concerning the Father. There were three things that we looked at concerning the Son and three things concerning ourselves. As we look at this great exchange, we saw the Father's sovereignty, we saw his justice, and we saw his grace. When we looked at the Son, we saw his innocence and his purity, his sufferings, his merit, his reward. What did he earn? What did he deserve? What was his desert for what he accomplished and what he did? What was he entitled to by shedding his blood as a ransom for many? 
the apostle says, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Tonight, we want to look at ourselves with these three points in mind. Our sin and guilt, the verse says it was for us. Our deliverance, it was by his sufferings and not by our good works. And thirdly, our state wherein too we are brought, which is a state of righteousness. So let's look at this first point, our own sin and guilt. The verse says it was for us. For us, he was made sin. His sufferings were because of us. As Owen simply says, if Christ was made sin for us, then we are sinners. He knew no sin. He was not rightfully and justly the recipient of the wrath of God because he was holy, harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners. So why was God's wrath poured out on him? It was because of us. The hymn writer says and asked this question. Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. And the answer is yes. He did no sin. Nor had any gal in his mouth. The justice of God and the law of God required punishment. Required punishment to be inflicted for sin. And the Lord was punished by almighty wrath. Why? Our verse says for us. For us. When the cup and the bread is passed, remember, it was for us. What does the prophet Isaiah say? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. For he shall bear their iniquities. And he bore the sin of many. Do you remember the question of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8? So the eunuch answered Philip and, and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, if he preached Jesus to him, he not only guided him to understand of whom the prophet spake as a being like a sheep led to the slaughter. But he told him why his soul was made an offering for sin. It was for us. Again, if Philip preached Jesus, he proclaimed what Paul called this faithful saying. 
which is worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world, sinners to save. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1:15. Who are these sinners? I'm glad you asked. They are the fallen sons and daughters of Adam. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and death, thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that we were in Adam. In his first transgression, being the representative head of the human race, he plunged the entire human race into a state of misery and sin by disobeying God. We sinned in Adam. He has passed down to his posterity not only a bad record, but a bad heart. We've not only violated God's law, we've not only received a, a sin nature from Adam and sin in our being from the time we were conceived, but we in time actually practice sin. It proves that we are indeed the sons and daughters of Adam. We came into this world, I say, as those who had a bad record legally and a bad heart. We practiced by our actions and our words and our thoughts, those things which are contrary to God's law. We've not kept his law. We've not obeyed his law perfectly. And we've actually omitted things that we ought to do to his glory and to his praise. Sometimes we think of sin as those, 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 those sins that are listed on the top of the list, you know, the adultery and the fornication, all those, all the murder and, and, and lying. And I'm not in that category. But there are other things that we ought to be doing as we've come into the world to be those who glorify God that we've omitted to do. We've not done, and there are actually things that we do that prove that we are the sons and daughters of Adam. Paul describes the fallen humanity of which we all are a part. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. The apostle says, what then? Are we better than they? Speaking to his fellow Jews, not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, he says, 
And he quotes from Psalm 14 and Psalm 140 and Psalm 10 and Proverbs 1 and Psalm 36. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 3, 9 to 18. Romans three twenty three, For all have sinned and come short, falling short of the glory of God. Sometimes Christians look at the evil in the world and the wickedness all around us. And when we behold men drinking iniquity like water, we might be tempted to ask, how can these things be? Why? How can people do such evil things? I think at those times we have a little bit of amnesia. In God's word, gives us a reality check. The Apostle Paul reminds the church in Ephesus, and he reminds us today, and you he made alive, who were once dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Titus 3, 3. That no man should glory in his presence. God brings us back to reality. We rejoice over the great salvation that we've received, but we must understand that we too were as they. This always stands out to me in my wife's testimony. When she was confronted with the truth of God's word in Mark chapter 7. And our Lord says, and he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. That's God's word and testimony about those of us who are the sons and daughters of Adam. But my wife said, that's not me. I'm a good girl. I'm not sick. But the Lord's word came to her heart with power. When those words that our Lord spoke to Nicodemus came by the aid of the Holy Spirit, 
Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Our Lord also said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Brethren, always remember that if you are united to Christ by faith, it's because you were a sinner. Jesus didn't come to clean people up and, and, and come to those who, who are all right, just need a little tweaking. He came for real sinners. And such were we. Real sinners. Prone to disobey, going our own way. We are the ones for whom Christ died. He laid down his life for us. If this reality never grips you and causes you to realize that you dwell in the city of destruction, and as Bunyan said, if you die there, sooner or later you will sink lower than the grave into a place that burns with fire and brimstone. You will never deeply appreciate, brother, in this table and what it represents if you never see your need of Christ. You'll never come by faith to him whom to know is life eternal. The Bible says, nor there is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12. I spent my time laboring this point, a point that is so elementary and so well taught and preached in this place. Because we're so prone to forget that we really did need a substitute. We could not flee the wrath to come by our own merit. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God and is not of works. Lest any of us should boast and think we had something to do with our good standing. God has sent his son into the world. Let us not be like that foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. And great was its fall. Christ was made sin for us to deliver us from a great fall. That brings me to our second point concerning ourselves. Our deliverance. How were we delivered from sin and all its evils? It was not by a word of command or power. You remember the early chapters of Genesis. And God spoke and it was. By divine fiat, he spoke things into existence with a word. But that's not how we're delivered. He has not chosen to just speak a word and and we are saved. Now, granted, the word of God is used. Understand what I'm saying. And the Holy Spirit takes that word. But there is a, a means by which God delivers us in the plan of redemption from eternal destruction. It was not by the intervening of saints or angels as some superstitious religions believe 
that if we can get enough folks praying for us after we're gone, perhaps we'll get out of purgatory and we'll find our way to the celestial city. That's not how it happens. Nor was it by our own endeavors. It's not that we find ourselves saying the good outweighs the bad. You see, that's for people that don't understand the Bible, Ernest. Yeah, well, sometimes Christians think that my standing and my acceptance is based on my performance. And because I'm reading my Bible faithfully, I'm doing uh, these things and, and witnessing and I'm and I'm being merciful and in all these works in, 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 in some way, we feel really good about ourselves as Christians. And I'm not saying those aren't things we ought to be about. But our acceptance with God is not based upon our works. Not at the beginning and not along the journey. We come and believe and trust all our all. We rest as we sung on Christ alone. But as we move through this Christian journey, do we find ourselves going back in our hearts, trusting in our, our deeds? The Bible says, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appear, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. How was this mercy displayed? How is it that the guilty sinners don't get what they deserve? Do you remember the words of Moses as he interceded for the people and spoke back to Jehovah his own words? But he by no means clears the guilty, Moses says in Numbers 14. However, at the beginning of his prayer, he rehearses this blessed truth. The Lord is long suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. And then he goes on and he pleads, pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy. How is God's mercy displayed towards sinners? And not punishing them as they deserve? By punishing his son. And letting the believing guilty go free. We are delivered, brethren, by the sufferings of the son of God. He was made to be sin. The holy suffering substitute is the savior of sinners. In my place, condemned, he stood. He sealed my pardon with his blood. And when you rehearse those words in your heart and in your mind, and if it finds some type of utterance through your larynx, with volume, you must say, hallelujah. What a savior. Lastly, consider the third thing from our text concerning ourselves. Our state whereunto we are brought, which is a state of righteousness. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. We're brought into a state. This state is not some political body governed by representatives, a commonwealth 
like the state of North Carolina, but rather a condition as with respect to circumstances. And what circumstance has landed us in such a blessed condition of being right with God? How is it that we are right with God? How is it that we are justified? The New Testament commentator Jeffrey Wilson answers that question. The full meaning of our justification is disclosed in the amazing thought that we become the righteousness of God by union with Christ. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. As Pastor Rob has said, put it in his commentary, he says many will be made. That is legally constituted or rendered as a, as a judicial verdict on the last day by the imputation of Christ's perfect righteousness. Righteous that is fully accepted and acquitted and free from all condemnation before God with a title to heaven. And this is all because of Jesus' representative and redemptive work on our behalf. In reality, the concept is richer than that of imputation. It is not simply reckoned as ours, but it is reckoned to us and we are identified with it. We are called the righteousness of God in Christ. We have a legal righteousness, but because we're joined to Christ, we are the righteousness of God in him. Beloved, we ought to bless and praise our Savior for that which will issue in our righteousness in this world. God is working in us and he's molding us into the image of Christ. And day by day, even though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day. And through all the difficulties and the trials of this life, God is molding us. His righteous people, his righteous people, because we have been joined to Christ and he's making us more and more like Christ each day. And eternal glory in the world to come. One day we will be glorified. We will put off all this sin, everything that hinders us from serving God as we ought. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary, the hymn writer says, and they pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. We will never experience the second death because of Christ. Brethren, if there's nothing else we need to meditate upon tonight, we need to remember that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. May these considerations be joined by faith 
as we meditate on these things. And may it aid us in our minds, which are so prone to wander off with distracting thoughts. This ordinance, as Owen said, is to fix that. And if we act faith in a special manner in this ordinance, God will be glorified. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we find that we have not the words to express the depth of gratitude that we owe but we use the words that we have and we say thank you thank you for your everlasting love we thank you that you chose us in him before the foundation of the world we thank you that in time you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light father we pray that you would help us as we are so bombarded with so many things in this life that would draw our minds away and call our love to other things more than the things of heaven. And so, Father, we pray that as we come as a family, as we come to this table, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to unite our hearts and appreciate and to love our great Savior for all that he has done for us. We shall be so very careful to give your name all the praise and all the glory throughout all eternity. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.